Are you in a state of recovery? Do you want more clarity and direction? Have you built your foundation and wonder what lies beyond recovery? Do you want to discover what you are truly capable of? And are you ready to discover your purpose, learn to overcome your limiting beliefs, and change your mindset? Are you ready to discover the key to living a purpose-driven life? When we recover, we are returning to a normal state of health, mind, and strength. We begin the process of regaining control over something that was lost, but our journey doesn't have to stop there. This is the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. After overcoming my own 20-year battle of addiction to drugs and alcohol, I have now dedicated my life to empowering those in recovery to rewire their brain so they can change their story and enhance their recovery even further. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. I am incredibly grateful today that I've been able to meet so many people that are not only in recovery who have suffered from addiction, but also as today's guest with those who have been on the other side of that addiction, right? Those who have had to endure the pain of watching a loved one go through this journey, which is so incredibly hard. You know, when I talk to people who had to watch me, um, I got to hear their side of the story. And so it's been really nice to connect with others on the other side of addiction And so for that today, I am incredibly grateful for. Now, speaking of the other side of addiction, today's guest is my friend Al Richards, and we're going to talk about just that. But before we get into today's episode, if you are someone that wants to rewire your brain so you can change your story and enhance your recovery, my friend Lane Kennedy and I have teamed up to create a short masterclass for you to get started. This masterclass has six activities that can help you actually start to change your brain and also six amazing meditations done by Lane focused on each of the topics so that you can embed these concepts into your subconscious mind even further. And then we wrap things up with a 21-day challenge where each day you will be challenged to take action in a different way. Super exciting. If you want to learn more, head on over to www.theroadforward.ca slash change your brain. On today's episode, like I mentioned, we are chatting with my friend Al Richards from the other side of addiction. And we get to hear what it was like for him to try and help someone he loved to get clean and sober. He shares some of his wife's story and he shares his own story and what it was like for him to have to learn not to enable that behavior. You know, of course, being someone who was in addiction and also have been with people in addiction, that's very difficult, right? Because I think when we truly care about someone and we love someone, we just want to help save them. We want to make things better but sometimes we can't. So Al shares his story and what that's like for him being on the other side of addiction. And we also hear what inspired him to start the podcast, 
which is exactly on that, the other side of addiction. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back, everybody. I am hanging out with Al Richards from the other side of addiction. How are you? I am great. Tamara, how about yourself? I am doing fantastic. I'm really excited to have you on the show because as we talked about just before we got started is I think it's really important for other people to understand the other side of addiction, basically what it's like for those that we care about that have had to watch us go through, you know, addiction and into recovery because it's an ongoing battle and it doesn't always happen the first time for us. So why don't you just start off by, you know, telling us about yourself and what it is that you do today? Wow. Uh, I do a plethora of things right now, but there, there's one that I'll get into that is like really, it's my baby, but uh, I manage a concrete business that I help my brother grow. And uh, I, I'm originally from Salt Lake City, Utah, and grew up out in a place called West Jordan, which is the outskirts of, of downtown Salt Lake. Uh, just kind of grew up out in the farms. Literally, it was just wheat fields, alfalfa fields, lots of pheasants. I mean, yeah, I was playing in the canals and irrigation ditches, shooting BB guns, shooting my bow. Um, but other than managing my brother's concrete business, uh, I also work for Stars Talent Studio. So um, sometimes I get invited to play background in different things in movies. Um, the Chosen was one of my favorites. Uh, that's a series. It's just, it's just a phenomenal series. It's about Jesus, but uh, that one was really cool. Been on some commercials. A lot of, I'm on a lot of internet commercials. But uh, the one thing that, that really drives me right now is, as you mentioned, being on the other side of addiction. And that was how I came up with the name of the podcast, The Other Side of Addiction, because my wife's battled alcoholism. And it uh, took me down a pretty dark road as well. Like one of my buddies said, I was addicted to her addiction, which was 100% correct. It just took over my life. And because of her addiction, it, I, I just, I wanted, I wanted to get a voice out there to let people know who have loved ones that are battling addiction. And it doesn't matter it's just not drugs and alcohol. It's all addictions because the addiction affects you the exact same way. And I just wanted to get it out there that these, these people are fighting a battle we know nothing about. We think we do, but we don't really have a clue of what's going inside, what's happening inside them because society has a way of looking, looking at people that have addictions like there's something wrong with them. And there's nothing wrong with them. I get emotionals talking about it quite a bit because the majority of the people that I have met that are battling addiction, they are incredible people. They are just, they've just, just got demons that they're battling and we do our best to try to understand it. But I'm sure others are out there who have loved ones that, that have addictions, but for seven years, I did things completely wrong. I just kept trying the same things over and over and over, trying to pound it in my wife's head. It took me seven flipping years to figure it out. And I don't want other people to go through that. So I started this podcast and my co-host who um, 
I believe she was with me when, when you were a guest on our show, but mm -hmm. she left, she bowed out to move forward towards her dreams of helping people as well. But she, six years recovered alcoholic and um, it was just a great fit because we had the non-addiction side and the addiction side. And yeah, just to be able to have a voice to get it out there and get people to understand it's time we open our eyes and it's time we start lending a hand, you know. Um, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. We had a guest on our show who lost a son from heroin overdose. And I kept my wife's alcoholism quiet. I didn't share it with friends. I didn't share it with family. First of all, I didn't want them to judge her. I didn't want to be judged as well. And it's, it's like our guest Dar Darlene said, she goes, if I told my family and friends and neighbors that my son had cancer, everybody would be knocking on my door, bringing me dinner and saying what they could do to help. But if I told them that he had a heroin addiction, nobody would be bringing casserole to my door. They wouldn't want anything to do with me. And that's really how society looks at it. And it's a disease just like any other disease. That's how I'm seeing it anyway. Other people don't have to believe in that, but that's just how I believe in it. And I love that you're bringing more awareness to that because you're right, right? When you're in the throes of addiction, you're completely ashamed. And, uh, you know, I remember when I first got sober, which was, you know, over nine years ago now, I didn't want to tell a lot of people because there is that stigma, right? But I knew eventually over time, and I probably realized this only a few years ago, that if I keep quiet, right, I'm not bringing awareness to it. I'm not helping other people realize it's okay to come out and say, hey, I'm sober or I have a problem. Because I think by keeping it quiet and having that mentality that like suck it up and you should be able to get together, it's not how it is, right? It's a disease. Yep. And people that are in it, we don't want to be there. It's just, it is our way of coping with our emotions, right? It's our way of masking them. So, you know, what did your journey with your wife kind of start off as, you know, did it start off right off the bat? You know, she was an alcoholic and active addiction, and that was just something you accepted or how did that go for you? Well, um, we both worked at the same manufacturing plant. That's how we met and started talking. And, and when, when we started dating, you know, we used to get together on the weekends and we'd always meet at her place and she would have friends come over and it was just kind of like social drinking. You know, we would play cards or play games and have a few drinks. Then we moved into with, uh, moved in together and it was still kind of the same thing. I ended up buying a house and we would have parties over at the house. And in about in 2009, that's, that's when things started really happening. Because even before then, we would get to where we were like the happy drunks. You know, it's not like we were wasted where we couldn't stand up and we're falling over things and we're getting rude and ignorant. We were just having a good time. And then in May of 2009, we got married. In July of 2009, I lost my job of 24 years after we just bought this house. August of 2009, she lost her dad. And while I was, while we were working on trying to save our house, we were still having people come over and I started noticing she just wasn't mixing a drink anymore. 
she was grabbing the bottle and she was drinking stuff right out of the bottle. And I'm like, man, this is not like her. Things started changing. And then I started noticing that she was going out in the garage a lot. I'm like, well, that's not like her. I'm the one that spends all the time out in the garage because I'm always out there piddling around and doing things. And one day I caught her out there looking for one of her bottles that she hid. And that's when everything kind of started. And then it took about maybe seven or eight months after I'd lost my job, we ended up losing our house. And so a lot of, she had a lot of things that she was battling inside before we even started a relationship. And I knew just a little bit about it, you know, but not a lot. She had been in bad relationships. Uh, she was picked on and bullied a lot when she was a little girl. And all this stuff just started building up. And then when 2009 hit and all this stuff happened, that was the tipping point. And it just started getting bad from there. You know, um, man, it, it, it was... It was such a battle because I remember times coming home from from work because I was kind of doing odd and end things and and you know I'd come home at two o'clock in the afternoon and she'd be wasted. It'd get to where she wasn't waking up for work. She's like, "It's no big deal. Leave me the hell alone. It's not bothering you any." And it's like, "Well, it is bothering me because you've got to get to work." And that's when she started losing her jobs because she wasn't going in and it's because she was drinking all night you know and couldn't get up the next morning but uh yeah that's when things started really really getting bad um, you could smell it on her it got to a point where she was actually mixing alcohol with mouth mouthwash so you couldn't smell the liquor you know but uh she worked her butt off got to a point uh, about four or five years ago where she she got, she went 13 months sober she, and, and our relationship at that time was incredible. I mean, it was almost like being in a whole new relationship. I could see the confidence, you know, building up inside of her. And we went on a stay vacation and, and it was to a point to where, and, and again, I, I've had people really thrash on me a couple times about this, but it got to where I could have a drink around her and we were playing cards and I was having a cocktail and I went in and went to the restroom. When I came back out, I watched her hurry and put my cup down and I'm like, what the hell did you just do? And of course she got all upset with me, but that's when everything imploded, you know, shortly after that, she got her first DUI, um, pulled over for reckless driving, driving um, on a suspended license, another DUI started getting thrown in jail. Her drinking got so bad to where literally she couldn't even stand. I found her passed out once out in the middle of a parking lot at our apartment complex, right out in the middle of it. I mean, she couldn't even move because she was so wasted. And that's when the darkness started happening for me. Wow. And, you know, you mentioned something at the beginning that really struck me. And it makes me think to my first marriage is that when we started dating, it's so common to have drinks together, to have those game nights, to get drunk together. And it's fun, right? You think, okay, well, this is, this is part of dating. And 
But what I didn't realize, I mean, I was an alcoholic and my, my ex now ex-husband was also an alcoholic, is that we couldn't have conversations at a certain point unless we were drunk, right? And it took me a long time to realize that because I'm like, well, I, this is new and I'm happy and it's exciting and things stay fresh. And, and you know, it wasn't like that and things started to get dark very quickly. Um, you know, now how for you, I mean, I... I can't even imagine. I well, I can and I can't because, of course, I've always covered my emotions by drinking. So whenever I was with an addict or an alcoholic, which I had been many times over my my drinking career, I would just numb it with something. But for somebody who who isn't in recovery, what was that like? You know, how dark did that get? Watching someone try and get sober and just not getting it. Oh gosh, it it got it got so dark tomorrow that. Um... Two years ago, this this past June, I was coming home from a networking event, and I had literally made my mind up that I was going to go home and get my pistol. I was going to go up in the mountains, and I was going to take my own life because coming home to what I was coming home to every day, I mean, it's like walking into a war zone because... I couldn't say anything right. And, and I wasn't actually, it's not blaming her. I, because I was so upset and it would just, it would light the fuse and dynamite would just start going off everywhere. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show that my buddy said I was addicted to her addiction. The reason why he was a hundred percent right, because I spent all my time, even though she can hardly stand up and she's slurring her words and I'm like, you're drinking. And she's like, eh, no, I'm not. You know, and it's like, yeah, you are. I had to do everything I could to catch her, to prove myself right, even though I knew I was right. That's how it, it reels you in because you already know she's drunk. She's denying it. But yet you feel like you still have to catch them. And that's what was consuming my life. And I, it was taking me to a place, um, one of her therapists actually diagnosed me with a little bit of PTSD, which I thought was bull crap because I thought that just kind of happened with people who fought for our freedom. You know, they're out there in war zones and seeing different things or like our first responders who see a lot of nasty things. But it started making sense because I couldn't concentrate. I was happy one minute, next minute I'm pissed off as hell or I'm sad, people who I was around quite a bit with networking started coming up to me going, man, are you okay? And it's like, yeah, I'm great. You know? And they're like, yeah, you just seem a little off. It was zapping my energy. Um, I was so exhausted all the time and I couldn't figure out why I was exhausted all the time, but that's, yeah, it took me down that dark rabbit hole. I was actually in the middle of her addiction right with her and and I allowed it to happen because I love her and I'm doing everything I can to do my best to help her not realizing all I was doing was making making it worse and when you see somebody that you care about basically taking their life very slowly right in front of you I mean that it hurts it it really hurts Absolutely. And, you know, it made me think of my parents. My dad was very, at a certain point, tough love. Like he had to step back and let me do my thing. And my mom, you know, bless her heart, but 
she was that enabler, right? She was the one that would lend me money thinking that it would get me back on my feet, always saving me, rescuing me, thinking that that's what I needed. And that just kept me sick for longer, unfortunately. And it's interesting because today I actually have a much stronger relationship with my dad because I didn't want to keep getting rejected, right? I didn't, I knew eventually when I hit my bottom, right? Which was that moment I stopped digging and I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I knew I had to change. And it was those people that did give me the tough love. So how have you been able to support your wife now without enabling, right? Because like you said, often we think we're saving them, but we're actually doing more harm than good. Yeah, um, that, that's a good question because I've talked to other people and, and you just mentioned it where, you know, they said you got to do the tough love. I mean, I called the cops on her a lot. Uh, she was arrested a lot. I'd kick her out. It, it didn't work. Um, I'm a very spiritual person. And one day I decided to, to fast and I hadn't fasted since I was like 13 years old. <laughs> so I had to call a buddy and ask him how to properly do it. But uh, shortly after that, the answers started coming. I, I realized I had to get on with my life. You know, it's, it's like when you get on an airplane and they start going over the safety procedures and they talk about, you know, in case of cabin pressure, you know, you loss of cabin pressure, mass will fall down, put it on yourself before assisting others. It's the same way. It was the same way for me with the addiction I had to start taking care of myself. Once I started doing that, that's when I started noticing the change. And she noticed the change because she even came to me two weeks after I let her move back in. She's like, you're a different person. It's like, what do you mean I'm different? She goes, it's like you're moving on with your life without me. And I'm like, well, I am. And I want you to join me, but that's up to you. And instead of getting mad at her, with things, I would, I started using those I statements, you know, it's like, man, I love it. I love it when you are sober. I love it when I can talk to you and you can understand what I'm saying and you're not getting upset. Or um, if, if she says, would say something to me, I would say, I really love it when you say that to me, or, you know, I, I just started using different communication and slowly but surely, that's when she started coming around. And then she had her own little spiritual awakening the last time that she was thrown in jail. And it started opening up her eyes. And, and now I talk to people, when I do talk with people, um, I'm like, yeah, getting, getting mad doesn't always work. But that's all we know, being on the other side. We're pissed because our loved ones are hurting us and we're pissed because they're drunk or wasted or whatever it may be. But it's because we've let it, we've let them drag, drag us into their hole when really we can choose to stay out. And as long as they know we still care, because it's like I told my wife, even after this last time, I'm like, babe, as long as you stay sober, I will be here 100% for you. I will, I will be here. You can cry on my shoulder. Um, I've always gone to AA meetings with her, but I will be here 100% support. But if you drink, you're by yourself. I, I'm no longer there. And 
I believe that's what's really helped besides her determination. I mean, I'm not taking credit on this at all, but it's her determination and her drive to remain sober, but it helps her when I'm doing things right on my end. I hope yeah. I answered your question. <laughs> totally, totally. Because that's the thing, right? We have to do things for ourselves. And I often talk to my clients about that, right? They do, they're people pleasers. They do everything for everybody else. They've spent their life caretaking, but they're not happy. They're not fulfilled. And so when people actually start to do things for themselves, they show up better in the lives of their loved ones, right? And I didn't realize that either. I was like, huh, how about this? If I actually do what I love, I can be a better person to those that I care about. So it's being really, you know, selfishly unselfish kind of thing because you're actually doing more good. Now, you talked a bit about the communication piece and you say, you know, learning how to communicate has really changed your relationship. And I think that that's something that's really important for people who are in addiction as well as people who are not learning to communicate with their loved one or spouse. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, when you start paying attention a little bit more with the communication, I mean, it, it just doesn't help with a loved one that's battling addiction. It, it helps with everyday life. Yeah. You know, I mean, the communication and the misunderstandings, the misunderstandings really kind of start um, disappearing you know, and, and we still find ourselves every once in a while going back to the old drama bull crap where we're getting upset. And sometimes it takes us a little while to draw ourselves back in, but just, you know, saying, you know, if, if I say something to her and it hurts her feelings, instead of her getting mad, now she says this, when you say this, this is how I feel when when this is told to me and it's it helps me start realizing okay i don't want her to feel this way but apparently it is and she's not blaming me she's just saying this is how it makes me feel so now and not all the time but i would like to say at least half the time i'm like so how is it that you want me to put it or how is it that I can communicate, communicate whatever I'm trying to communicate to you better to where you're not feeling this way? Because as I've as I've said in, in other podcasts and things that, you know, she already, her body was already full of daggers. And when I would start saying things, I was just putting more daggers in that woman and she couldn't take it anymore, which I don't blame her. I, nobody would be able to do that. But that's that's what's really helped me. And yeah, that communication has really been our key. And again, we still fall back into that old pattern every once in a while because it's something that we're learning. You know, I mean, she's coming up on nine months sober. She'll be nine months sober on the ninth of, of this month, which is really cool. So we're just, we're learning these new steps and it's not going to happen overnight. That's why we fall back into the old patterns but we, we are starting to recognize it when we do fall back into those old patterns. So, and, and it's helped me with, with, again, with everyday life communicating with other people. Absolutely. Communication is so huge. Like when you actually learn, you know, part of what I'm learning to teach on now is emotional intelligence, right? And it's how we feel an emotion because of a previous experience. And I think this is really big 
with people who have either dealt with a loved one in addiction or even somebody in addiction because we often drink as a result of not being able to feel our feelings, right? We don't want to feel them. We want to numb everything out. So when we learn how to identify them and go through those emotions and talk about it and not react all the time because I was very reactive. Like if somebody said something to me, I made stories up. I just like off to the races I go. So I think everybody needs to take a course on communication or something like that because it's really important to acknowledge that you're feeling a certain way. And like you said, right, when you use those feelings or your wife uses them, I feel you're owning how you feel. You're not putting blame or throwing daggers because you're right. Yelling at an addict or alcoholic does not help the situation at all. Oh, no, no, you're you're basically um, it's like I've said before, you're, you're just pissing gasoline on the fire. And that's exactly what you're doing. And and I never could understand. Gosh, I'm just trying to let her know, you know, why is she exploding like this? And, and it's because, again, we don't know, you know, even like she had to she had to teach me what a trigger meant, because when she would say she got triggered, I'm thinking, I would get all upset because I'm thinking, holy shit, now she's going to go off. She's going to start drinking and I got to prepare myself. I got to get ready for whatever's coming at me. And finally, one day she realized I had no clue what a trigger meant. And I've had triggers since she's been working on being sober. We we were over at a friend's house. Uh, we were checking out some things in, in our car and um, my friend's kitchen and living room has liquor bottles all over so we're out there working on the car and I turn around and look and she's gone. And I mean, I just felt that pit in my stomach and I'm like, oh, hell, she's in there because that's how it used to be. And when she came out, I'm like, where have you been? She's like, I went in and went to the restroom. And I'm like, have you? And she's like, what the hell is your problem? So she started getting defensive. When we left on the way home, she's like, I cannot believe that you thought I was in there drinking. And now that I know what a trigger is, I'm like, that just, that triggered me because it was, it brought back that old, that old feeling. I had to apologize to her. You know, I'm like, look, I know you're on a good path right now. And and I know you're on an abuse, so you can't drink, but it was just that feeling. I mean, I felt it come back really, really strong. But now that we've communicated and I'm understanding more of the addiction part of things, I'll never get it 100%, but it's really helping that I've learned at least a quarter of it because now it's helping me communicate with her better and understand a little bit about their battle, what they're going through and how I can help with that. Yeah. And, you know, you bring up a good thing. It's the trust, right? It's the, I remember having it as someone who had been with somebody who was an alcoholic. And then before that, an addict is that feeling of like, oh no, they're doing it again. And it's hard not to go there as someone who's, who's living with someone who, who suffers from addiction. So how do you, I know for me, trust is huge, right? I am with uh, another alcoholic who's in recovery, but trust is really big because I have had my trust broken so many times in the past that it really is hard not to go there. So as someone living with an alcoholic, how do you deal with that yourself? Gosh, that's a great question, Tamar. You know, um, just the best way that I'm dealing with it is I, I just have to have the faith. I, I have to believe 
again, I mentioned I'm a spiritual person, you know, whenever I'm talking to my higher power, who I like to call God, I thank him every day for keeping her sober for another day. I have to keep myself busy. I have to keep myself occupied. And yeah, she's, she's broken my trust uh, more times than I can count. I always used to tell her as soon as I, as soon as I start giving her a little bit of trust, she always seemed to kick me right back in the crotch and drop me again. But it's, it's just letting her know that I believe in her. And again, it's still hard because if she disappears or different things happen, <coughs> excuse me, that brings up the past, those triggers hit. I have to believe in myself as well that I can give her, I can give her that trust. You know, you just, it's, it's hard to explain for me because you just, you just got to let it go. You, you have to let it go because if I don't, it's going to continue to eat me up inside and it's not going to help her for one thing. And it's just going to do more damage on my part. And as long as I believe that I'm doing my self-care and doing what I need to do, it's going to help her as well. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think you nailed it. It's focusing on what you can do for yourself to keep yourself more spiritually fit so that in those times you can deal with what you need to deal with. And I've yeah. been there plenty of times. So let's talk about the podcast. You know, when did you start the podcast and how has that been for you in your journey? Because I find that doing this podcast and interviewing other people who are you know in recovery or deal with people in that are suffering from addiction it has really helped with my journey because it's allowed me to become more vulnerable i'm always inspired by other people's stories so what is it like you know for you and doing the other side of addiction podcast well well you know the whole idea uh, came up in 2020 i actually started sharing my story started doing talks and then, of course, we all know what happened in 2020, and that put a stop to it. But it kept eating me up inside in 2020 about wanting to do a podcast. I had no clue how to do it, where to start. Not, I didn't even know what to call it. And God has a way of putting certain people in front of you when you start realizing what your journey is and what your path and what your why is. So in the beginning of 2021 is when I, I spoke to my ex co-host and she had the same thing. She's like, yeah, let's get this going. And I, and I met Brad, our producer and, and things just took off from there. We started it in March. We recorded a few shows just to get a, a few in our, our bucket, but um, where this has really, really helped me. And we talk about all addictions on our show, but it's really helping me as the person on the other side, understand just a little bit more what people are going through who battle addictions and, and where it takes them. And we've had other people on our show who have loved ones that have the addiction and they've been on the same side that I'm on and learning what they've learned. I mean, that's, that's what I really, really enjoy about doing this podcast is just having our guests come on, open up like yourself. It takes a lot of guts the way I see it for someone to come out and talk about, hey, this is who I used to be. And I didn't like that person, but yep, it's true. That was me. But this is what I'm doing now to move myself 
forward. And uh, we had we had a mother and daughter on our show a couple of weeks ago. It's the first time this daughter spoke about her mom's addiction. I get emotional talking about it because you could you could see the pain that the daughter had that she did not want to break her mom's heart, but she wanted to get it out. It was so therapeutic for the both of them to come on a show, to both share their feelings. I mean, the energy and the spirit that was in that room was, <laughs> it was incredible. You could feel it. And after the show to have both of them get up and give you a hug and say, you have no idea what that just did for us. That was a healing point for them. Just like you spoke about as you started doing your show, how much that's been healing you. That was a healing point for them. And I'm so grateful that God put me on this path that I can give that to somebody you know, or we can give that, not just me, but that we can give that to somebody, a place for them to come on and be vulnerable and just talk about where their life was at at one time. And it's amazing because the majority of these people are now doing what you're doing tomorrow. They're, they're reaching out, they're helping others in their journey. And that's exactly what it takes because as you know, you cannot do this alone. You have to have a higher power, whatever it may be. My wife and I was talking about it um, when we were driving down in Nevada. Um, we had a gal that I had found out she's been having suicidal thoughts and we got on the phone and, and we were talking to her as we're driving down the highway. And, and, and my wife said, do you mind if I say something? And she told this gal, she's like, I don't know how spiritual you are. I don't know what you look at as your higher power, but she says, if you don't look at God or the universe as a higher power, pick something, pick your fish in a fish tank, pick a mountain, pick a rock, put something that is greater than you, put that power into that and it will help you so much. And to me, I think I, I look at God as my higher power, but I'm also looking at this podcast as a higher power too, because of what it's doing for, for people. I'm getting texts. I mean, I got a text from a sh another show that I was on. I was on uh, Todd Sylvester's podcast and he sent me a text and goes, Hey, this just came across my phone. And it said, Hey, that interview you did, you did with that Al Richards guy. He gave me a whole new perspective of how to deal with somebody that's battling addiction. And that's what means the world to me. That's the whole purpose for this podcast. And this is my why. I mean, my, my wife says, I'm taking all the credit. And I'm like, okay. Because she says, you wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for my addiction. And I'm like, you know what? You're 100% right. So, okay, I'll give you all the credit. <laughs> oh, that, and that's priceless. Because it is, you know, I always try to tell people, your experience can actually be a gift, right? A lot of people look at what they've been through and 
you know, whether it's suicide. I mean, I've been through, you know, times where I wanted to end my life, addiction, codependency. And I always used to look at that as a negative thing, right? Something that would follow me around in a negative way. But when we bring more awareness to that and we become vulnerable, it's absolutely amazing the difference that we can make in the lives of others. Because I, you know, before I had written my first book, I was like, well, who am I to write a book, right? I wasn't homeless. I wasn't drinking vodka out of a brown paper bag living under a bridge. Like, that's just not me. I never was in treatment. I never went to jail. But I was 215 pounds. I was $75,000 in debt. I went bankrupt. I lost everything. My marriage fell apart. And maybe, just maybe, if I became vulnerable, somebody else who hasn't had to hit that really low bottom might not have to, right? Because if somebody can relate to my story or your wife's story or your story, maybe that's enough for them to go, okay, maybe I can do this, you know? So I admire what you're doing. I love it. Um, What would you say would be the biggest advice you could give to somebody that is struggling with someone who is not getting recovery, right? Somebody that continues to relapse, somebody who's still in the throes of addiction. What's the biggest advice you'd give to them? You know, take care of yourself first, but don't push them away. You know, they, they need support. They need love. And what happens with us on the other side of addiction, we get so angry. We, we, we push them away. We don't want anything to do with them anymore. I mean, there's a lot of people, well, not a lot of people, but there are certain family members in on my wife's side that basically just kind of pushed her under the rug. You know, we don't want anything to do with you anymore. And, and I'm not blaming them because it's hard. I'm, I'm not saying that they did anything wrong. It's just, that's, that's just what we do because that's all we know, but you know, set your boundaries. You know, addicts have to set boundaries when they're in recovery. We have to set boundaries as well. You know, just say, hey, look, I am here for you 100%. And I will not tell you what you should do. I'm not going to shit on you, but I'm here for you as long as you're sober, as long as, you know, you're, you're not using. And then you have to forgive I mean, I, I was asked this on another podcast, what was one of the greatest lessons I've learned from everything that I've gone through, and it's forgiveness. I've not been perfect in my life. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've done a lot of bad things that God probably frowns on, but if God can forgive me and Jesus can forgive me, I can forgive somebody as well, because if I don't do that, that addiction that they're battling that now you're battling inside you as being on the other side, it's going to start taking you down too in a different way. You can also turn around and start self-medicating because you're dealing, you know, so be there for that person. They need support, but also understand too that my wife told me once when I picked her up from a rehab for a weekend visit, she was telling me some things that happened And I started, oh, well, you should do this. And, you know, maybe you should try that. And she said, can I stop you? And I said, what? And she goes, for once, just freaking once, I wish you'd be my husband instead of my therapist. And I went, holy crap, that freaking hurt. And she, but she was right. Yeah. But did I still get it? No, 
I, because I'm still her loved one and I'm still going to try to do everything I can to help her, not realizing the only help she can get is through herself. Mm-hmm. All I can do is be there for support. So stop being a therapist, people. Just be there for support. And now I understand when she'll start talking to me about something and I'm like, babe, I think I'm the wrong person that you're talking to. You need to call somebody else that knows what you're going through because I don't. So that's my advice. I I hope it's good, but that's what's worked for me. (laughs) I love it. I love that advice. And that's why we, we have and create a support network in recovery because there is something powerful about being able to sit across the table with another alcoholic and say, I know what you're going through. I go through the same thing. I think the same things because we do, right? We have the ism. And, you know, I think it's the same for people who are dealing with loved ones to have that community or to listen to podcasts that help support other people dealing with people in addiction. I mean, it's very powerful and people should not be ashamed of that anymore. So how can people get a hold of you if they want to listen to the show or learn more about what you do? Well, if they'd like to get a hold of me, they they can email me. My email address is mralrichards at gmail.com. You can find our show on Resilience Talk Network, which is www.resiliencetalknetwork.com. We are on all the platforms. We're on YouTube. The Other Side of Addiction is the name of the podcast. You can find us on Podbean, YouTube, Apple Pod. Um, stream I mean all those all those social media type places or platforms you can find us um, yeah feel free to reach out send me an email um, I'm, I'm actually shocked of the messages that I get every week it just it just blows my mind you can also find me on Facebook I have two Facebook pages uh, my personal one is Al Richards you can find me there or the addiction part of the other side of addiction Facebook is Mr. Al Richards. Uh, I don't know how I lucked out to get that Gmail and the Facebook page the same, (laughs) but I did again, I think it was meant to be, but uh, yeah, yeah, I'm happy to answer any questions. And, you know, one one more thing to let people know that are on the other side, Um, Al-Anon wasn't a fit for me I know people who love it and it has worked great and I'm not knocking Alan on because it's helped thousands and thousands of people for years. It just wasn't a fit for me. If, if there is a support group, that's not a fit for you out there, keep searching because there are other support groups out there. Um, I basically, after the third time of Alan on, I'm like, yeah, I'm not showing up here again. I I'm done. It took years after that before I realized there's other support groups out there. That's all I thought there was, was Al-Anon because we all need support too on the other side. And we need to have people who understand just like the people battling the addiction who understand what we're, what we're battling. So get on the internet, start Googling, look, cause there are tons of other support groups out there for us as well. Well said. And yeah, it, the same goes for people who suffer from addiction, right? You know, yep. the 12 step programs are not the only thing out there and pick something where you find your home and where you find those people that you feel like, okay, this is a fit, right? But I think the most important thing is admitting that you have a problem, reaching out for help and knowing that you're not alone in all this stuff. So 
Al, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate you sharing your story. And, you know, I think this will help a lot of people because I think even, you know, people like myself are with other alcoholics and we need to learn sometimes how to look at the other side of addiction <laughs> as well. We might have been fully in it, but how do you deal as somebody who is also with someone in recovery? Right. Yeah. So and, thank and I you. like I like that you said that if I can share just one one yeah. more thing here tomorrow. But uh, we had a guest on our show who uh, two decades battled porn addiction, started at the age of 13. And he's he's 10 years clean now, but he shared on our show his wife is now battling an eating addiction. And one thing that he shared, which. I found very fascinating is he goes, when you are the one that has the addiction, people are always telling you what you need to do and how you should do things. And he said, it would drive me flipping nuts. And he goes, now I have caught myself doing the exact same thing to my wife. <laughs> so now he's on the other side and he's like, now I have to learn how to, to change that. So I'm glad that you brought that up because it is difficult. You're going from one extreme to the other extreme and you've got to handle both situations differently. Yeah. So yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Of course. Yeah. It's something I've dealt with since I started my own addiction journey. So <laughs> it's like, I always, you know, I think all of us do become addicted to certain things, like you said, whether or not, you know, even, you know, people over time getting into those dark places and starting to take pills, starting to overeat, like we will always find some means to self-soothe. And Sometimes that's a healthy by going to the gym and working out and taking care of ourselves, but other times it's not. So I think we really yeah. have to learn that piece. <laughs> we we need to do a class on dealing with both sides of addiction. That's actually I, a good point. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would be a great topic. Well, thank you again, Al, for being on the show. I appreciate you taking the time to share your story. Thank you, Tamar. I appreciate you inviting me. I, I, I love your show and, and I love your message that you're getting out. So I'm very, I feel very honored. So thank you so much. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. So remember, if you want to learn how to rewire your brain so you can change your story and enhance your recovery, don't forget to visit my website at www.theroadforward.ca slash change your brain and join my friend Lane Kennedy and I for six topics that are gonna blow your mind literally no pun intended head on over to www.theroadforward.ca slash change your brain and i'll see you on the next show i have had the privilege to walk alongside of many people who have built their foundation and further enhanced their recovery but unfortunately there are still so many people who are still suffering that need our help the road beyond recovery podcast is a proud sponsor of Touched by Addiction. Addiction thrives in isolation and darkness. Darkness cannot exist in the presence of light. So if you or someone you know has been affected by addiction, there is help. At Touched by Addiction, we are dedicated to exposing addiction and ending the plague. Be that beacon of hope and light that so many desperately need. Each t-shirt or sweater you buy helps to get a struggling addict off the streets and into a year-long addiction treatment program. If you want to support the movement, go to www.touchedbyaddiction.com.